0: I have started recording. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sync Ratios. And you, if we sound different, it's because we're on the phone again, which we've only done once before. And I, there's a number of podcasts that that regularly record this way, even though mm-hmm. the, the two hosts live in the same city. I think like, like the John August and Craig Mazin podcast. They always do it that way. And I remember I used to think that was so lazy because it's <laughs> like. Oh, you're just what is like, oh, he's in La Cunada and he's in, you know, wherever the West Siders like, like, well, what's the big deal? And it's like, yeah, no, some days it's just uh it's that much more of a pain and since it's we are crazy.
1: We're we're quite busy. Yeah. yeah. We, we do
0: everyone, have jobs. Get <laughs> everybody Get mm-hmm. everybody in
1: the same place for like the big episodes, uh the death recap movie, which I think Kevin Phillips wants to be a part of. So he's, definitely Yeah. Get, Get him in there, uh, his thoughts on that, and certainly for the end of Evangelion. So as we're scrambling to do that, uh, we also have a lot of a lot in our plate that we're trying to, mm-hmm. uh, to deal with. So, you know, I could drive like an hour, 45, uh, 45 minutes or so each way uh, to you to record. But we could also do this, because I think mostly what we're going to do today is a mailbag episode.
0: Yeah, finally, uh-huh. we, 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 you know, you guys... Uh... Either out of genuine interest or sympathy, cause we, <laughs> because we keep asking for it. You, you've you asked questions and we want to answer them. And yeah, since we don't have an episode to watch, it seemed like, yeah, we can just uh, do it over the phone. So, you know, this is, just- by the
1: yeah. way, a Neon Genesis mm-hmm. Evangelion podcast. <laughs> I think if you're tuning in now, um, it's it's too late for you, but. You're yeah hopefully you show. know that that's what it is and hopefully you know that i'm luke pietrowski one of your co-hosts
0: yeah and i'm ben collins the other the other yeah. one um but we got
1: yeah we put out the call and a lot of our uh our followers on twitter uh really came through with some fun and interesting questions i don't know how long it's going to take us to dive through most of these but we'll try to get to to most of them uh, you know if we miss you for some reason you can always hit us up again but i think we've got a few different things to cover and it should be pretty fun. <laughs> well, and
0: we, we may end up having to kill a couple weeks before Kevin gets back. So oh, <laughs> we, well, there, there could be more. Uh, well,
1: if that, well, there is one person that um, wrote in um, that uh, suggested um, that we just, you know, watch like Fully Cooley or something in the meantime, yeah. which is like <laughs> not true. a terrible idea. Uh, but, I don't wanna keep putting off the end of Evangelion stuff, so I wanna to get to that as, you know, quickly as possible. But yeah, mm-hmm. Edward Odell wrote in and was sort of like, Yeah, hey, you just gotta just do fully Coolie. Which I'd be mean, dying could... to see again anyway.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, or we could do one of Ono's movies or something if we had to. But um but yeah. If we have to. Yeah. If we but, have to.
1: Come on, we gotta get to EOE. This is the whole I know, point. I
0: know. Um, it's killing me.
1: It is definitely killing me. Uh can't wait to get there. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll do this Because we just didn't want to go too long Without, you know, it, it kills me every time A Friday passes and we don't have a Have a new episode uh, New episode we're, up, so
0: Which has only really happened the one time, I think so. Yeah You know, we're doing great, is what I'm saying, Luke You're doing great, I'm doing great, everybody's doing yeah. great Hope we're you guys are together. all uh, Yeah, you know, learning to love ourselves And uh, even our flaws Oh boy
1: Uh <laughs> <laughs> should, should we dive into some of these yeah. questions?
0: Yeah, you um, you have you are the keeper of the questions, so you you fire them off and uh...
1: keeper of the questions. And I haven't done a whole lot of prep for these questions, and you haven't done any prep for these questions, so we may stammer and stutter a little bit, or have to pause and look things up. But uh, you get you are getting some raw responses to some of these questions, like yeah,
0: like this shit. one,
1: which is a serious question that i take very seriously so i do want to really give it some thought uh which is um from alex Kies, i guess is how you say the name k-i-e-s uh from twitter now that i've disappeared down the nge rabbit hole what other anime would you recommend from a standpoint of being provocative genre defying and at least mostly tentacle free
0: Mostly, mostly tentacles.
1: So a little bit of tentacle, you know, yeah. that's okay. Uh, you brought up one that like just seconds before we started to record that I think you should bring up.
0: Yeah, it's this really interesting. Um, uh, it's a movie. It's a short movie. I don't even. I don't think it counts as an OVA necessarily, but it's like a seventy-five minute movie. I think something
1: like that. Yeah. Uh,
0: called Angels Egg, and this um, is one that you turned me on to years ago, like back. You know, in the sort of early torrent days, because it was impossible to find, and I I don't actually know.
1: I believe it still is. Uh, uh, Angel's Egg. It's it's Mamoru Oshii who directed Ghost in the Shell, the Ghost in the Shell movie, and Mm, Pat Laborda stuff. Yes, so it's one of it's one of his early works. So if you like the Ghost in the Shell movie, um, particularly just sort of the the pace and the sound and the composition of that movie, you'll see a lot of that on display Angel's Egg, I don't I don't think it has any sort of official release over here. You're going to have to kind of scour some convention tables or see if you yeah. know a guy who knows a guy and somehow get the hookup to see it. I mean, d- definitely look and see, but I'm pretty sure I've been keeping an eye open for it and it's still not readily available in the States.
0: Yeah, also, you know, here's looking at, you know, whichever, uh, you know, Blu-ray or DVD, like reissue type labels and stuff want to put that out. I mean, I guess... Belladonna of Sadness was put out by was it like was it Draft House or whoever? Like it's like some somebody yeah. like that needs to do with it. Because it's 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 a cool cult thing. It's um, I, mean, I think it's a nearly styling. Uh, Spectre
1: silent... vision had something to do with that restoration yeah. too, I think. Yeah.
0: But this is this is like if you I mean it's Belladonna of Sadness is more, you know, like uh erotic or whatever, but this this is like you know, like another kind of like just odd little thing that like doesn't really have when you say genre defying, that's what comes to mind. I mean, ostensibly yeah. it's a fantasy thing, but I think it's mostly silent and mm-hmm. it's it's really beautiful visually. Um, I, I can't, was it there's that, isn't there another artist involved in it? Luke, oh, Yoshitaka Amano, yeah, yeah, the, uh, yeah,
1: I believe it's Amano who does the designs for Vampire Hunter D, the illustrations for Vampire Hunter D, um,
0: mm-hmm. and he did Man, that Sandman stuff, yeah, and yeah.
1: Night. um, yeah, uh.
0: Yeah, uh, so it's sure. it's a really visually beautiful uh, little tiny weird silent movie about a guy in a kind of – it's almost like sort of Murakami-esque in some ways. It's a really interesting one that I, I – now I want to track it down again. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, I watched uh, it again
1: uh, recently with our friend Elric Kane because he was doing – Oh, yeah, um, he told me that as his podcast pure cinema and they did a uh, animation episode and so he was coming to me for like okay what's some like good animation is like i think this is an elric <laughs> movie mm-hmm. and he did like it quite a bit uh but yeah oh yoshitaka amano by the way also does like the final fantasy 6 art oh uh, cool like the, you know the very ornate and pretty style so yeah the characters kind of look like that but yeah i watched it again so it was fairly recent and it is mostly silent it's like a post-apocalyptic world i guess you could saw it call it sci-fi because it does have like a spaceshipy thing but it's mostly these like empty spaces and this girl who is is very abstract kind of story about this girl who's caring for this egg and she meets this soldier who is wandering through the city streets and it's kind of just their relationship um and it has like the great animation the old animation sound of howling wind is mm-hmm. something that I always like of just the very, the, like when a movie opens with that sound, I know it's going to like tickle a certain um, sense for, for me. Like there's a certain like quality that I know I'm in for when I hear that sound. Um, oh, sure. Definitely traffic from that. Really cool sequence with the shadows of these giant fish. But it is all very dreamy and very abstract. So if you're in for that kind of thing, and it doesn't, you know, again, it's short, so it doesn't overstay its welcome. But this avant-garde post-apocalyptic sci-fi fantasy, yeah. it's. That, oh.
0: Yeah, I have another one. I have another one. Uh, this is totally different. Uh, Mushishi. I don't know if we've ever talked about that on the show before.
1: I don't think we have. That,
0: that was one of my favorites for a really long time. It's it, it was around the time that you and I were watching Death Note that, that we sort of came across it back in the mm. TV links days. And I think so that would have been like what, like 2007 or, or six or something like that. And I think it was a, a fairly new show because all the TV link stuff was like a lot of it was current stuff. And and they've since made live action movies out of it, I think. And I, I, don't, know pers- I don't know if it's based on a manga or not, but it's, it's kind of like a thing about like an episodic sort of like a really uh, like kind of pastoral version of like X-Files or something. It's like uh-huh. about this guy who can see these spirits called, called the way they are they called Mushi, or
1: uh-huh and,
0: and yeah. it's like him going sort of traveling around kind of like the countryside in japan uh like sort of helping people solve the various uh, uh problems that they get into by having contact or 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 interaction with these spirits and it's it's a really um it's a really beautiful and sort of peaceful show uh, that mm-hmm. I just I, I used to watch it like before I would go to bed. It's one of those that kinda lulls you into a into a nice mood, you know, as it were.
1: Yeah, two things about that. Um the director um of Mushishi, I believe, is going to do the Uzumaki anime adaptation for Adult Swim that was recently announced.
0: Oh interesting. Isn't
1: that interesting? Oh two- yeah, 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 yeah. The Junji Ito uh, horror manga, which that's another thing. I mean, it's not really – it's more genre-defining than genre-defying. But, uh, you know, Junji Ito's work in manga is um, always really fascinating, interesting. And and if sort of the body horror and the grotesquerie of Evangelion is something that – if you like the image of uh, Lilith on the cross (laughs) and the legs sprouting out of her – uh, you'll like some of the imagery in Junji Ito's work. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that the Mushishi director is doing something so uh, horrific. But I'm pretty sure that that's what's going on. Um, that also calls to mind one that I like that uh, is similar to Mushishi in that it's sort of a files kind of thing and, and it's an anthological kind of show, but it's called Mononoke. And it is about this traveling... Not Princess Mononoke by the way (laughs) it's a different thing uh this is about a traveling medicine seller who kind of solves supernatural crimes like Uh it's it's actually a spinoff of this uh, i think it was like japanese horror tales and it was this anthology of different um like three episode arcs of like different kinds of horror stories and there was one that was called the demon cat i think and it was done in this very uh, like an ukiyo-e kind of style. Like it looks like old Japanese like art prints or something. So it's like really colorful and super stylized. And it has like the, you know, the, um, the wood block sounds and like very traditional feels like Japanese theater like quality to it. And it was telling these very traditional horror stories. And that arc from that show is a real breakout arc. So they did a whole series uh, that does like several stories, usually two or three episode uh arcs covering one particular story but he'll come to a place this medicine seller and he's got this sword that can like expel ghosts but he has to like learn the ghost's name learn why it's here and then like summon it forward so that he can use the sword and destroy it so it's typically very much like he'll come to a place and has to solve a mystery and talk to the people Mm -hmm. figure out what's going on and you get this really stylized animation uh telling these you know, sometimes really grisly horror stories. And, and that's a really that's fun, cool. yeah, it's a cool series. Um, and that's readily available here on Crunchyroll. Maybe it was on Hulu. It's been around. Mon- Mononoke is pretty easy to, to, to find. Um, I mean, we could talk anime all day. I don't know. There's there's some other ones uh, we really liked. I think we mentioned it before, but the one on. uh, that the Gaunt's guy did
0: um Oh yeah, the Inu Yashiki.
1: Inu Yashiki, yeah, yeah, that
0: <laughs> shit fucking rules. I was I was watching some of it the other day. I remembered it because it was like it was really like it came out on Amazon like sort of day and date kind of thing. I think it was like you know it was new in Japan and it was new here, and they released it like around Christmas of. I guess it was 20, was it 2016? Yes, no, we did.
1: We did talk about this on the show. Cause you talk about it being the first animated uh, version of Trump.
0: Yeah. Saw, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was such a surreal thing at the time. And it's but I was like thinking about it again, like, yeah, that, the whole show felt like a weird, almost like a dream to me. And I was watching it again and just really reveling in like how insane the imagery is and like the concepts, like the way that, that it exploits the concepts and moves things along so quickly and just escalates i just i yeah I, I it's really a really remarkable um really mm-hmm. incredible show
1: yeah so there's some others that we mentioned before too i think boku is a really good one that is kind of the most we and we've, we've mentioned it again but it's the most for me like a lot of what i like about evangelion and the sort of existential uh crisis of the pilots and some of the cool design elements and the darkness of it uh is very much a part of boku so on a, on a surface basis like a one-to-one thing because it's about freaking out kids who are piloting giant robots it feels mm-hmm. very easy to make that leap of the relationship between those two shows if you like one, you might like the other uh, i don't remember i think we talked about haibane Renme on here before as well. oh yeah it's hard to define genre wise but it has the uh
0: i was trying to think of that one yeah
1: yeah, the the if you've seen Serial Experiments Lane and has a really cool character design. Um, what's his name? Abe. Um, he does these character designs, and it's very much based on like Haruki Murakami novels with these girls with angel wings who are living inside this walled city. Um, and again, it's sort of it's kind of slice of lifey, but hard to define. Um, and I had somebody else just write in and ask me about just like other other shows, not necessarily provocative and genre-defying, but just, okay, if I like Evangelion, what are some other shows? And I mentioned uh, Eureka 7. I don't think you've seen mm-hmm. Eureka I, 7. No, I
0: haven't. I have not.
1: That's the one with the sky-surfing giant robots. So, okay. Um, and in some ways, it's, it definitely has moments, especially early on, that feel very Evangelion-y um, in, with some Dream State stuff. But it's it's definitely... It's, it's almost like... Uh, if you kind of take some of the energy of Cowboy Bebop, which is all about finding a cool identity in terms of, like, music and style. And, you know, Cowboy Bebop obviously is using, you know, like the noir stuff and the jazzy style of music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Eureka 7 is a sci-fi story about giant robots, but it's all, like, really cool, trippy techno and dance music. Not, not in, like a, like, a lame way, but, like, uh-huh. really cool stuff and, like, really mod sort of style to all the characters, like really incredible character design. And it's sort of similar to Evangelion where there was some big tragic event that happened in the past, like the second impact, but they call it the summer of love. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's got this sort of hippie, cool mod vibe to it with this very modern music sensibility and ultimately builds to kind of like these big cosmic things in a similar way to Evangelion, but kind of much more inspiring, not as inspiring as Gurren Logan, but uh kind of gets to those
0: places I don't. no that's an interesting one um mm, yeah i mean we could we could there was the other as we get broader with these things there was the other question just about like sci-fi books or anything you know, have yeah. not anime? we animated before we
1: leave the anime stuff i guess i should mention darling in the fronks which is a very recent anime show that a lot of people are comparing to Evangelion and its by studio Trigger, which I think is made up of a lot of expats uh, from Gainox and other places. Uh, maybe some people from Kara. Um, I watched it. I didn't love it. Uh, uh, yeah. Some people are very passionate about it, and I was like, oh, you know, it looks kind of cool. It's very, yeah. I mean, on this, <laughs> there's it's it's. Kind of uncom- Kind of an uncomfortable watch, uh, as as a you know thirty eight something year old man. Is um, mm-hmm. the thing is with the pilots like they're paired up and they have the a female pilot and a male pilot always working together to pilot the robots. And the positioning of the characters in the cockpit. Oh yeah. Looks like they're having sex. Like it looks like the the, the woman is seated forward, almost like she has the fucking control panel part of her uniform is the control panels on the back of her head. So the guy uh-huh. has to stand behind her and like push the buttons while she's steering or whatever down there. But it's just totally like she's on all fours and he's standing behind her. Hmm. Which is just right. already kind of like, eh. and it's like, well, if we're going to really play with that and do something with it, but they they kind of don't, I don't feel like they earn th- that provocativeness in any way that comes out as other than just like kind of gross and weird. Um, I didn't really connect with the characters, but it is, it is a show that's out there right now that is very much like, oh, this is the next Evangelion. And so maybe for a generation of people it is, and they're getting something out of it. But for me, it was kind of like, uh, eh, it, it didn't really resonate. Um, and then there's also Razafon, which is another one that <laughs> on the surface is like the most Evangelion ripoff tour. there's like transitions with drops of water and it's all music-based, and it's, you know, awakening old robots and things. But again, I think I've tried to watch that one twice.
0: Yeah, I never gave it a shot because of what you said about it. I
1: couldn't get into it. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I want another look. But I just – There's just something about it. It was it was almost, like, too close but not not different enough to be exciting in its own way and not close enough to be, like, the same thing. It was just kind yeah, of this yeah. weird near-miss that, yeah, for whatever reason – um and i'll always shill for ghost in the shell standalone complex uh being and ghost in the shell of course
0: but yeah yeah
1: everybody i think has probably seen ghost in the shell at this point but in terms of like really heady uh dense and worthwhile uh sci-fi philosophical anime obviously ghost in the shell but particularly standalone complex seasons one and two are able to be more fun but still do all that stuff so Anyway, you were yeah. trying to get onto more broad sci-fi and.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I just I, I thought we were drying up, but yeah, I, yeah, I was just like it was an interesting question, and and I was just sort of going through my uh, my movie collection and anything that that caught my eye, uh, and and one that that I don't know that we've ever talked about on the show, but it, you and I've referenced it before personally, uh, and I mean not everything has to reference to Evangelion, but this this one in particular does is uh, never let me go. The oh, Alex, sure. Alex Garland film from I don't know what year that was, 2011 or 12 or something. Was but,
1: that uh, uh, Ishiguro? Kazuo Ishiguro? Yeah. Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's it's. It was one of the movies that like, like one of the newer movies that I remember seeing it and just thinking like, man, if you just take this tone and this look and this style, and if you just imported some giant robots into it, you know, like it's like it's so doing the emotional stuff within the sci-fi concept and in grounding things in such an interesting way. And it's beautiful. And it's, it's, it's got such an interesting, uh, yeah, it's just a really unique movie. Yeah. It's, and very, I don't,
1: yeah, it's yeah and Kazuo Ishiguro is interesting because he's uh, obviously of Japanese descent, but he's English, right? Um, uh, yeah. he wrote, what is it? Remains of the day? Is that, was that? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, so he writes these very, very they feel very english uh novels uh and never let me go is the only one that has sort of a sci-fi element to it as far as i know
0: um there's maybe a newer one that's maybe more fantasy i can't remember but yeah it's definitely a a light touch sci-fi yeah it's
1: not like hard sci-fi but it is very much you don't want to like spoil it too much but it it is this sci-fi story about youth facing um mortality in a way that mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of *Bokurano*. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, it for *Bokurano* is about the children. When they pilot the giant robot, they they die. So the thing that they're doing, the, the genre conceit they're participating in is killing them. And so you get, well, how do you respond as a young person to imminent death or recognizing the fact that, you know, re- really recognizing and wrestling with your own mortality for the first time. And there's some, definitely some moments in never let me go the movie that, uh, are really kind of painful and raw in that way.
0: Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's it's it does what what I think the best sci-fi does, and that includes Evangelion, is is that like give a fantastic, you know, interesting, you know, hopefully visual in a lot of cases, like conceit that that provides for an emotional route back to normal things it's like that you can start at a distance being like oh well i've never had to pilot a giant robot and i don't know what that's (laughs) like and it's like but that's just a way that's just a a lens to look at you know actual human experience and so like we're not going to spoil what the the conceit of never let me go is because i think it's not part like it's a it, secret, yeah. but it's kind of part of it. And it's like, yeah, but it, it, it finds a way to sort of make you think about yourself. And, and it's really powerful. I mean, I, I've oh, never read the book. I tried yeah. to read the book after I saw the movie. I was like house-sitting for somebody, and I saw it on the shelf. And I was like, oh, I'll read that. And I, I g- couldn't get through the first page without just breaking down in tears. And I just put the book away. <laughs> this <laughs> this again, is yeah, this actually later. interesting.
1: There's actually an anime that just came out uh, this year, last year, called The Promised Neverland. Which is mm-hmm. actually quite similar to uh, that film, and oh, it's it's about children at uh, an orphanage, and oh wait, there's something going on with why they're here, and everybody who leaves the orphanage, uh, there's something dark that's happening to them, and it's from the point of view of the kids as they kind of realize, oh, we're being used for something, being groomed oh, that's for cool. something we don't like, and it's all about their escape, and that's it's interesting in that it's it's not so much about the emotional fallout of like oh the, the existential terror of it, it's more about problem solving and out thinking it's basically a prison break movie like mm-hmm. narrative but in a school of you know orphan children and their nanny that's watching over them and uh, it's a pretty cool show um yeah i like that one that's very similar on the surface too no let me go um
0: yeah i actually want to see that thing.
1: Yeah, it's fun. Uh, This question uh, came from Michael Rookard, by the way, who had uh, written in before with some fun stuff like the I think the Peanuts comics and stuff in other episodes. But specifically, the question that he asked was if we had any obscure sci fi books or films Mm -hmm. or comics to recommend outside of the usual things you hear a lot of, like 1984 uh, Uh apparently 451 i mean have we have
0: we talked yeah. about altered states much on the show that's one of my favorite movies of all time.
1: there's a there's another podcast uh was it scream addicts where we are guests on an episode where we just talk all about uh altered states because it's one of our yeah. favorite horror films
0: um I, was that the first podcast we ever did I don't it remember. was
1: it was our first podcast so we were very excited um yeah, that's a cool one. That's a cool eighties horror movie that uh deals with a lot of crazy mental um stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure what else to say about it, but it's about sensory deprivation tanks, which comes up a fucking yeah. lot on
0: this show. Sure, and it's- and it's, and it's like, I, I consider it part of a kind of spiritual trilogy that starts with 2001 A Space Odyssey and ends with The Inner of the Void, the Gaspar Noe film I, I'm almost certain I've referenced before on here. So I, it's like, you know, trippy, hallucinatory, cosmic, crazy shit. And with, with with character stuff and an emotional through line, more so than the other two films, the 2001 and the Inner of the Void, I think it's the most, mm-hmm. more human. And it's written by Paddy Chavsky, who, you know, uh, won an Oscar for network which you know lets you know the kind of if you see network you know the the kind of world that guy lives in
1: yeah i would and i brought it up before but we couldn't really talk too much about it and how it related but you know 2001 keeps coming up but there's another arthur arthur Clarke uh novel that's childhood's end that i read because i heard that it was influential on evangelion and if you the sort of the awe, and some of this is more stuff that we're going to get in End of Evangelion, but you know the the, the idea of evolution of humanity and the kind of godlike power of that, but also the kind of uh, sadness and melancholy of like what's being lost as uh, something is transcending into something new, um, and aliens that kind of call to mind. Uh, beings from the bible uh i mean i don't want to like spoil childhood's end but the big the big hook of it is that there are aliens that are these benefactors but for a long time they don't let humanity see them and the reason they won't let humanity see them is because they look like the traditional judeo-christian devil um
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and it's all about though the kind of the end the twilight of humanity as it is evolving into something else and it's really powerful and really freaky and really sad and scary and full of that sort of arthur c Clarke scientific but also quasi religious awe where the unknown is so unknown that it is filling you with that kind of that that godlike sensibility um and it's yeah it's not that long i i definitely recommend that one uh as a, just a classic sci-fi novel that's super cool
0: um i don't know is there i got uh i was. i wrote down a couple more uh one that i don't probably haven't mentioned that's i don't think you've read it the jonathan latham novel as she climbed across the table
1: i have not yeah but i've heard you mention that one
0: before yeah it was one that they've been trying to make a movie out of it for a little while and i really was trying to get us in the running for that but that was a while ago and it didn't happen Mm -hmm. but it i don't even know if it would make a good movie but it's a really cool it's like a it's another like um it's like a story about, I guess they're scientists of some sort, but it's like a married couple that are research scientists of some sort. And they discover this like sort of cosmic anomaly that they uh-huh. I think they, they call it like the lack. It's like a, like a sort of like a, a, an opening in our reality that like, it's like a hole that, that they can cool. like put things in and they disappear. Cool. And it's about them sort of being fascinated with this thing and studying and trying to understand what it is and doesn't have intelligence and how does it work? Where are these things going and stuff? And the hook of it, that that sold me on reading the book is that uh it what what transpires is that the woman uh the wife and the the couple uh, uh falls in love with it and so it becomes kind of this weird love triangle between hmm. uh two, two humans in a in a bizarre unknowable cosmic occurrence of some kind right. and that if that if that sounds nonsensical i, I mean i But if it sounds interesting, it's definitely, it's an interesting exploration of that. And it's a cool, another, like, human story about love and and things like that done through, again, like something that's just a completely impossible sci-fi conceit, but that then allows for reflections back about, you know, jealousy and, and... Sure. you know, affection and sex and, and all these different things. And that's, that's a really, uh, that's a cool book that, that
1: yeah, I should read that one. Know, Ray Latham's
0: a big, you know, he's a big deal, I guess, in the literary world, but I don't know how many people read. Cause he started off writing like these more weird sci-fi books before he became more of a literary guy. So hmm. even if you know him from like, you know, the other things he's done, that's one that, uh, a lot of people don't necessarily go back and read. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, do I have anything else that's really, uh, that's really worth, well, here's another This is another weird, another weird one that I, I guess is technically doesn't, I mean, sci-fi is a bit of a stretch to say, but uh, the David Markson novel, Wittgenstein's Mistress is, uh-huh. uh, I think I gave you that one at some point, but that's, I don't think so. It was another one that like back in the day I used to fantasize about making into a movie and then they made that TV show Last Man on Earth, which is like sort of a comedy version, I guess, of it. Because it's effectively, Wittgenstein's mysteries is effectively, some sort of post-apocalyptic event has occurred. There's there's one woman left on the planet. You told
1: me about this. Yeah, you didn't. I don't think you gave me this because I've read everything that you've given me. Um, And so I I think we had this discussion, but I don't think I've actually read it because it does sound uh, interesting.
0: She's just alone in the world. Yeah. And it's, I think it's like literally like, that it's like, you know, a first person, like epistolary thing. Like I think she, if I remember correctly, I think she's actually writing down her thoughts. And so it's like, you know, what she does every day and it's, you know, it's got some interesting, you know, uh, visuals and stuff that, you know, very fitting with the, the you know, the tropes of, of that sort of post-apocalyptic no one's around kind of uh, I am legend type of stuff where she like, I think there's a scene where she she's so desperate to find a living thing that I can't remember if it's like does she maybe she sees a cat or she thinks she sees a cat and she's not sure and so she she goes to a grocery store and gets like all the cans of cat food she can find and like I think she's in Italy or something and she puts open cans of cat food all yeah. around the the Colosseum to try and lure a cat sure. out to where she can see it and stuff and just like it's it's got so it's got fun you know genre stuff like that but it's also just you know a real story about isolation and loneliness and you know what it would be like to be you know the the person that you the human race was going to die with you effectively mm-hmm. uh and it becomes an existential thing and, and it's because it's the first person it's like her thought process is sort of like breaking down because she's kind of losing her mind and you know there's no spoiling anything i mean it's it's it is what it is but it's a fascinating and really unique novel that i i was incredibly emotionally compelled by at a time when uh when when i you know, sure. was reading a lot of really strange postmodern stuff and, and postmodern, you know, novels don't always have emotion in them. Sometimes there's formal qualities or humor that they're going for. They kind of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. but that's, that's one play. that I was, was really powerful. Um, so, Vickenside Ministers, I didn't mark some. All right.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a handful of other things. Uh, what One anime manga that I didn't talk about, I have not read the manga, but I've seen the anime as a thing called, it's by the guy who wrote Bokurano, but it's called Shadow Star. And it sort of does what Bokerana is trying to do with giant robot stuff. Um, It does with like a Pokemon type story. So it's this kind of happy-go-lucky world where people have these sort of Pokemon type creatures, but it gets like super duper dark and some really fucked up things happen. Uh, And they did do an an anime of it. Um, So it's it's kind of infamous for being... um, pretty gruesome with this cutesy art style and cutesy opening credits. So uh, It's it's interesting. Um, I've talked about Magical Madoka before being the magical girl version. Um, and then things outside of anime, I've talked about Mr. Miracle several times, but that's a 12-issue comic book series that's now in hardcover that kind of, in the same way that Evangelion uses the giant robot thing to talk about what it's, you know, the pain of growing up. Uh, it uses superhero tropes and the, you know, the, the new gods from DC comics, but it tells a story of like marriage and fatherhood and depression and suicide. And it's about, you know, Mr. Miracle is a, an escape artist. And the whole notion is, well, I can always escape. And so it's sort of like, does he want to escape from life? And it gets real raw and interesting in the same way that, you know, some early Alan Moore stuff did and uses a genre that we are familiar with and breaks it down. And then I guess one other thing that's like a really weird thing, but we, since we write horror movies, it's not too far afield to mention it is the movie martyrs, which is a French film martyrs, which I've often described as it is sort of like what evangelion does for giant robot movies. It does for the torture porn genre. So obviously not everybody's into torture porn movies. I'm not into torture porn movies, but that is a movie that takes it to such an extreme that breaks down and like kinda of rubs your face in the genre and analyzes the genre in this like really extreme way to where it's like, okay, this is said everything that needs to be said. It almost feels like we don't we can never do another one of these movies because this movie has taken it to such an extreme and kinda of used it to say whatever it could possibly you know could be used for and so we're we've we finished it and i I do sort of feel that way about evangelion it's like there are still great giant robot shows that came after and it's i'm in no way saying they shouldn't make any more but it does sort of feel like by the time you finish the evangelion it's like and we're done with that concept like we have exhausted Mm -hmm. the potential of this concept in a certain way And I definitely feel that way about martyrs as something
0: that that actually does remind me of of another one that I had written down that I was, uh, wasn't sure if I was going to talk about, but since you mentioned martyrs and torture porn, it's, this is a really weird movie that I don't, I mean, I wouldn't call it sci-fi, but it, it's, it's got some things in common with Evangelion in some ways. And it's got this movie, uh, this Olivier Assis film uh, called Demon Lover, which (laughs) <laughs> it's hard to come by. I don't think they've ever done a Blu ray here in the States. There was like a director's cut edition that is, is better than the, the theatrical one because it was a theatrical film. And it it has like a, you know, um, Chloe Savigny and Gina Gershon and Connie Nielsen are the, the leads in it. So there's recognizable American actors, even though the, the film is a, a French production. But it's sort of interesting to reference in this because it's kind of a a sort of a corporate espionage thriller like in the sense that they uh it's 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 like different people vying for control of this media company um and it also coincidentally or or you know for those of this podcast is a is a company that makes anime so it's a movie about about this international business that has a that that you know makes anime and uh but this sort of corporate you know infighting of the, the the various leaders of this company trying to take take over and then finding out that the company in addition to making anime maybe makes some scary or more fucked up content and then that becomes part of a sort of genre element of the plot that i won't give away but it's a really weird and interesting and totally unique movie that i i really love and and some of like like if you if you like all this stuff uh, the corporate espionage stuff in evangelion you know like all the kaji stuff and things it's like that it's kind of like like a movie that's just that stuff so it's like that but it has you know so you could watch that as a double feature with martyrs if you felt like watching a (laughs) a really unique and interesting kind of torture porny movie and then like luke saying the you know the ultimate word on that genre um which is not a genre that you know i think either of us have ever like loved no but uh you know with some distance i think you know it's it's far from like these these movies aren't you know Saw six, or whichever you know thing comes to mind when you think of that genre, these are no, it's 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 it uh, actually <laughs> so a,
1: a more philosophical, in the same way that Evangelion gets like really kind of philosophical about what feels like a uh something for the ground wings, like a very base kind of thing. Like, yeah, that robots smashing each other up, and yeah, somebody getting you know hacked up and tied to a chair, and then really taking a very uh introspective and philosophical look at that, and you know asking questions about what kind of people would do this and why and getting to a quasi spiritual place with it. Um, that is kind of disturbing and cool. Um, but demon lover, not to be confused with my demon lover, the 1987 no. horror film starring Scott Ballantyne about a guy
0: who uh,
1: I think a musician. Uh, and whenever he like has sex, he turns into a different monster. Uh-
0: <laughs> Which I still haven't seen. You've referenced that a I lot. I've should... referenced
1: that a lot. It's just because the movie I rented when I was like, Five and I uh, did not understand what was happening but was ingrained in my memory and, and just kind of disappeared from the world after that but we should probably get back to like more Evangelion centric questions <laughs> yeah. very far afield and I'm, the Evangelion fans are like what the fuck is happening um, so that was a question from Michael Rooker but he had a couple other different questions too so we'll get to those um, and I have not had time to think about this so I'm going to have to give an on the spot answer but he asks, what is our favorite for each of us? What's your favorite episode of the Evangelion TV series, and why? And what's your least favorite, and why?
0: I mean, we probably yeah. have the same least favorite, or it's one of two, I, mean, I think.
1: <laughs> Which, I mean...
0: I, the Magma Diver or the computer one.
1: I Magma know. Diver and Lilliputian Hitcher always feel at the time like ones I'm not that interested in. When I'm watching them, I like them fine. I mean... That's the thing about this show is that there's, there's not there's not one that I would, like, not like or, like, would want to skip, you know. It's always – they're all good.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: those two come to mind. But, yeah, I mean, you'd think it would be, like, the recap episode because it's mostly just recap. But that has, like, the Ray poem afterwards. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's when it starts to get real cool. So, yeah, Magma Diver feels the most, like – Tr- like traditional tropey and so in a way it sort of feels like it's the weakest because it, it has the kind of silly setup of like oh thermal expansion and we use that to save the day mm-hmm. at the end and but it's still got some cool asuka shit so i don't know i guess can i think of any other that are that would be least favorites mm-hmm.
0: That's really not. i
1: mean the Laputian hitcher is just because you know there's no angel so it's all a lot of typing, but I mean, it's well shot. It's well done. You know, I'm on record as Ritsuko being one of my, you know, less favorite characters, but I don't, I don't dislike her. Um, But yeah, I think you're right. I think those two,
0: do you have a favorite though? What would be, I was just looking at the backs of the, the DVD cases. Um, And I, th- I think honestly, if I like, like, I think probably episode five, the Ray number one episode, just because I, oh. I do think that's like, that's when I, like the the scene of you know Shinji going to Ray's apartment for the first time is just maybe my favorite scene in the whole. Oh, interesting. Show, you know, I think it's it's just that's one of the episodes. I think uh, like I, when I think of the show, I think of that scene, and I think of that way of introducing the character dynamics and stuff. And I uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Um, I know the first thing that springs to mind often is the, uh, the day Tokyo three stood still for me. And I was pretty vocal on that episode of that was one of my favorites. Um, I don't know if it is my favorite, but I, I like how fun it is. And I like mm-hmm. how good the ensemble. everybody gets a chance to shine. And it's, it's the episode it's episode 11. So it's hitting like halfway through the show. You, you know, everybody. So now we can start to have fun with kind of the tropes of who everybody is and their relationships. Um, so I do really like that one. I think, you know, when I think of Evangelion. Oh
0: yeah, that is that is kind of a perfect episode. That would be yeah, that's a, a perfect, perfect one. one.
1: I, I also really like the what's the one with Zeruel when he gets uh. Subsumed by the uh, shadow angel.
0: Oh sure, yeah, that's a, that's really strong. I forget They're so um, bad that we don't remember these things
1: yeah that's that's a pretty good one um splitting of the breast and uh, sickness unto death and then um because that's the one that has like really cool it's a really cool
0: angel weaving oh, a story to oral stage episode oh, uh, this
1: one I'm talking about is the it's oh. yeah it's episode 16 um, Oh, okay, okay that's the one I was thinking of um which is because because the angel the angel like the zebra ball. And it it, it kind of epitomizes to me what, like, is cool about the Evangelion angels. Like, obviously, Romul was the first one that blew it up. Like, it's just a fucking big diamond. It's not even a monster. It's just, like, this weird shape, you know, and and that sort of Lovecraftian quality to it. And this is that, but it's even further. The fact that, oh, no, the real angel is this ultra-thin space that he gets sucked into. So it's really conceptually neat in an Evangelion way, in this hard sci-fi way. And then it gets really existential when he's inside of it. So it's doing that really well. But then you also get really cool traditional robot action with like the, the city sinking into the shadow and Asuka climbing the building with like the axe uh Evil Unit 2. And then able Unit 1 ripping out at the end and the blood and the roaring. And it's like, what kind of thing did we copy from? And so it kind of does everything, all aspects of the show in a big way that I feel like Date Tokyo 3 still is great. It doesn't do everything that the show does really well. Sure, sure. And I feel like I don't know for some reason that splitting of the breast episode is coming to mind as one that kind of is a good example of the best aspects of all the show kind of really firing at all cylinders. But I also really yeah. like the one where um, Zero comes busting into the uh, into the base and um, oh sure, that, uh, that, and and Ava Unit One wakes up for the first time. Fuck, maybe it's that one.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's impossible to ultimately choose. I think we're just reminding ourselves of good episodes, and it just makes me want to watch the whole fucking thing again. But uh, Yeah.
1: Hmm. Okay. Uh, Do we have
0: any other Evangelion-specific ones?
1: Yeah. I mean, because uh, Michael had a had a few different ones, that, and this one's interesting, too. Is, uh, on your most recent rewatch, did you find yourself responding more to scenes that didn't resonate with you the first time? And why do you think that they resonated now more than then?
0: Um, I mean, I think I think I was pretty on record with it, but the, the Kaji stuff hit me so much more this time, just because I think, I mean, I think like a lot of the stuff with just because of the adults, I mean, I think if you have the benefit of having watched the show as a young person and then watching it again as an adult, I think that a lot of stuff that has to do with the characters that are now, you know, closer to the age that I am, I think it it, it, it just... Hits harder and you understand the emotions more because like when you, when, you know, when you're 15 and you watch it, you're more, you respond to Kaji specifically more like how Shinji responds to him, I think. And it's like, uh, you know, I, I understand, I, I don't just like write him off as a horny guy now. I think he's an interesting character that's caught in the middle of his own sort of personal struggles. And, you know, I, I, I think it's a really, I mean, it's just this, I mean, this time more than anything, it's just like, I just realized how well-drawn basically every character is. So it's like it's more that just like characters that seemed more cliche or more like a one-note kind of thing when I was too young to understand them. It, it, it you know, I think the show... I, and, and, you you know,
1: know. Like Kaji. I guess I was able to sort of draw, I, for myself, do some sort of connection between Kaji and Spike from Cowboy Bebop. It's <laughs> just like, sure. he's just a fucking cool dude and it's always oh, got all this like shit in his past and stuff he's trying to sort of run away from, but... He just looks like a cool dude, <laughs> you know?
0: Um, well, yeah, he's appealing in a in a very, you know, sort of anime character way, but I think yeah. just like, like seeing seeing him as being a character with more depth was, was kind of the big change for me and, and appreciating that about him.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I was pretty... I definitely had that sort of reaction, you know, first, second, third times watching the show. I think at this point I was pretty... Knew what it was and was enjoying rewatching it, but it, it wasn't so much so, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to, I, like I said, I don't think you ever feel like you've mastered the show, but was pretty steeped in it. And so was remembering things, but not so much having this time a lot of new experiences of like, oh, I didn't get that before. I mean, I, I will say, you know, Ray was probably more appealing in like, Like a visual and conceptual way before, and this time around, maybe feels more relatable to me uh, in a way. But that actually leads to an interesting sort of a, I guess, a question, but also just something pointed out by somebody else who wrote in with the wonderful Twitter name of Muscle Robo, um, (laughs) who's, uh, you know, a fan of Ultraman and um, Ava and stuff like that, but pointed out that. A- about Rey, and i'll just sort of read what they said here is i feel like Ray is getting built up as a character until the end of operation Yoshima, episode six which you just referenced leading up to that smile moment and then after that Ray seems to take a back seat and seems more like a plot device than a real character afterwards and is that supposed to be her alien origin thought she was shown warming up to shinji and acting more human um but she doesn't have very many scenes throughout the rest of the show and they were talking with a friend um I guess their friend got really upset. Uh, so the, the muscle robo here was saying, "I'm not trying to make a best girl argument, but wondering if we had similar feelings about that." And I'd never really thought about it before, but once it was pointed out, it does sort of feel like, yeah, in those first in those first leg of episodes, those first six, it really is like the smile is a big moment. Like, yeah, yeah she's changing, and we don't really see any more change until she tries to break the glasses, like way in mm-hmm. the. So 24 or some shit uh so there there is a little bit of sidelining with ray that happens i guess
0: i mean i feel like i feel like i mean you know we, there's more to talk about ray after we do individualium but I, yeah. I i do feel like it's it's some of it is is i mean it could be that that there was other plans or there was things and they changed focus but i i kind of see it as maybe maybe I'm reaching here I don't know but like that there's a sort of you know her her character's tragic and and that's that's you know she she doesn't have access to like a full range of you know a full humanity really and I think that like you know that's maybe reflective of that or something like that that like ultimately like there's more in the interaction between Shinji and the other characters that that you know he's getting more from those people because they are fully human, and that that's sort yeah. of the tragedy of Ray is that she at a certain point can't participate in a lot of the aspects of life that well, other characters Asuka can.
1: Does come in and sort of you know steal the show, but the interesting thing is Asuka's not in those first episodes, and I don't want to say it's Asuka's fault that she comes in and kind of steals the spotlight. I think almost what it is structurally is kind of like yeah, this is the episodes that are about Shinji and Ray. Then in the middle you have episodes that are about Shinji and Asuka. Then you sort of start, you know, things start falling apart at the end it's more about Shinji and his relationship to himself and to everybody, right? So it's almost Mm -hmm. like that's kind of like after the smile, how much further do you want to go with Rei that doesn't just narratively feel like you're repeating the same idea? Like, well now she's learning how to cook and now she smiles and she laughs you know it's like yeah we know we kind of got and that's what i like so much about the ray character is the subtlety is that the tiny moves can be huge moves so the act of smiling is like fuck she learned how to smile the act of even attempting to break the glasses that were gendo's glasses that were her only possession and just deciding to make that break with the self that was always subservient to him and maybe finding a self of her own and crying for the first time. These these tiny gestures can feel so huge for the character. And I wouldn't necessarily have wanted to see that continue to take center stage in the story because it would start to be too obvious or too repetitive. So I think when I take the show into account wholesale, I feel ultimately like it does a really good job of juggling all the different characters and everybody does... Especially in the movie, get kind of a payoff. I, I do recognize that there is sort of like this buildup, and then it does, you do kind of see less of her, but she's always there. And I think her interactions with Asaka are really interesting. I would have liked to see more of her interaction with, you know, Misado or some of the other, you know, Kaji. Like, what would those characters make of her?
0: <laughs> um, mm-hmm.
1: No feels about her. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a valid thing to bring up it doesn't bother me or feel too much like a mistake it almost feels like a, a choice of each character kind of gets a moment and there are the show moves in stages and ray was maybe mm-hmm. more center stage in an early stage of the show in an early section of the show and then in some of the later stories she's a maybe supporting player as opposed to the major player and, and that's okay
0: um yeah and then of course i mean she has all the I mean, it is plot stuff, but, you know, they're revealing what her actual purpose is and what, you know, she is being used by people for different reasons and stuff. And so I think that that, you know, is built into that, too. Yeah.
1: No. Yeah. You
0: know, yeah, but it's interesting.
1: Especially in these last episodes where we talked about her being the one who's, you know, kind of afraid to die and uh, losing the self. I don't know, there's, there's stuff that I still find. And that's part of the the magic of Rey is is she's a bit of a blank slate so you can kind of project a lot of things onto her. Um, But uh, as a follow-up to that unrelated, uh, the other question from that same uh, listener just asked about, and you probably don't have a whole lot to say about this, but like (laughs) what other Evangelion like goods, um, merchandise that have we picked up over the years, Um, you know, like toys and books and things. Um, Like they have a, a Zeruel ice cube tray. Which sounds pretty great.
0: So, I don't know, do oh, you have wow. anything?
1: Okay. Any of that little. Uh, I mean, I have stuff?
0: the stuff that I have the stuff that you gave me, and uh, I, I think I had an I had a ray at some point. That this is just like one of the small ones that used to sit on my desk, but I don't know where it went to. Honestly. <laughs> uh, no,
1: yeah, I, I have, should, I should more have more. <laughs> buy more shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. I have a ton of action figures and stuff. I'm, I don't remember if I mentioned this before, but I there were these things called uh, Kubrick's, not Stanley Kubrick, yeah. but yeah. they were like, before Lego everything was a thing, there were these Japanese toys called Kubrick's that were like really chunky and they look kind of like big Legos, but like a little bit more um, character to them, but sort of a similar design, like Roblox characters or something. These really stylized and cute things. And those are the things that I really tried to collect, and I, I got on the bus a little bit too late, and a lot of the like the Lilith on the cross I couldn't get, but I was very tickled by the fact that there were these really disturbing characters. Like there's a the Giant of Light one, and there's a redacted uh, thing from End of Evangelion, which is
0: mm. I will say my favorite. Oh, I remember! I remember that being really yeah. I remember playing with that at your house, just yeah. like. So, yeah. so like
1: there's really creepy thing, there's a, like I have a UE. there's one that's just a, the monolith, the Sele monolith. So the fact that there were these really cute designs for the most disturbing aspects of the show, like and there's a, um, you know, how you can like take off the Lego, well, you probably don't know, but some of you do. You can take off the Lego Batman's cowl and he there's the Bruce Wayne face underneath. But in order to make that work, he's got to be wearing a headband. So he's got like the white,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like the white eyes. But you can like take off the Lego Stormtrooper's helmets or whatever. There's a Ava Unit One um, that has the brown arm, like it stole the arm from. Zero oh M. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. You take
1: the head off. It has the bandaged face with like the big green eyes and the.
0: Teeth. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's it's cool. all
1: beautified, you know. It's like Lego style. So those are a big thing that I loved and tried to collect. I had like a yeah. I think Jet Alone was one. Um, I was not able to get um but yeah they're they're super fun and I will just say there's there's a thing that shows up in an Evangelion uh that is white uh, i won't say any more you probably seen the movie by now but I'm trying to be good and not spoil but it's my favorite design and I think one of the scariest designs uh yes yes, yes. um But I'm excited to talk about it when we get there. But so I have a a big articulated action figure of that. And whenever I see merchandise of that particular thing, I always like to buy that. Um, So then I got my popcorn head. Yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. um, Trying to think of like particularly fun things. I think we talked about the orange juice and the coffee that I bought one time when I was in Japan. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You brought me a can of uh, Evangelion black coffee i wait, kept wait. the can i still have the can somewhere i think
1: you got the coffee in it
0: no i drank the coffee uh but i uh i kept the i believe i have the can it's like in a box somewhere i should find that.
1: My, my magi mouse pad which i still use um yeah that's the big stuff you know a lot a lot of music cds a lot of t-shirts uh, a couple of you know asuka figures um uh yeah Lots, of, lots of cutesy action
0: figure. <laughs> I, I was, I was, um, I was looking up. This is so embarrassing. No, i do no, not going to say it. Never mind. <laughs> I don't
1: know what this
0: is. <laughs> oh, no, I, I was, I was joking. I was joking. Uh, with my girlfriend the other day about trying to buy a Masato cosplay outfit for her to wear. Oh, sure. And uh, I looked it up. It, it does exist. I, I can't remember yeah. if it was terribly expensive, and it's probably not great quality because it's, I mean, it's just like a jacket and a skirt, you know? <laughs> the,
1: red, the red jacket. I did look at that.
0: Yes, I did, I did look at that. And I did, If while I'm in, outing myself and being embarrassing but not saying anything weird, I did uh, in a similar kind of on a Lark way uh, uh, purchase – an Evangelion uh, swimsuit uh, for uh, uh, someone I was in a relationship with one time. Oh. And that was fun. <laughs> it's like, it looks like the plug suits, but it's just like a one-piece. Well,
1: there's, there's one thing I didn't buy when I was in Japan this last time. I might have mentioned it. At the Ava store, they had the, the pool floaty that was like a full-size entry plug. So what you oh, to do is cool. you get that. So you go to the pool in your Evangelion plug suit swimsuit with your full-size uh, inflated yeah. plug um
0: that would be a good look
1: well since we're embarrassing you let yeah. go on to this question my um, <laughs> name donald Bubbins on twitter that asked uh a couple of questions but one of them was what out of canon Ava material have you enjoyed games manga card games stuff like that you know stuff like angelic days uh he actually brings up one called anima which i had not heard of and i looked it up and seems cool, but you have a interesting answer for non canonical Evangelion to share. And so do I. Yeah. So, no, I yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mine's funny I mean, it was like this years ago, I think it was our mutual friend, will probably who yeah. we've referenced a lot on the show made me aware of the, and I think we mentioned it briefly before, but that, that there is a presumably fan made, uh, uh, Hentai.
1: It is not official. <laughs> so. No,
0: I mean I say, I say presumably fan made just because it's it's like fairly well done on the animation level. So like I mean I'm assuming it must be fans who are animators of some kind. I don't really I don't really understand how you do that, and but for, it's like for those at
1: home who don't know what hentai is,
0: can you? Explain it's basically it? just it's it's anime. It's the porn subgenre of of anime, and yeah. so like it's but it's a huge. I mean hentai. Like I you know, we've talked about it. I I, I haven't actually seen that much of it so it's not like i'm like some sort of secret connoisseur of this stuff no but like it's interesting because it's kind of like as opposed to uh you know like the porn that you know is more commonly consumed you know by just people in america especially it's like it is still they still have to animate it and so there is still like different you know uh, like it, it can be you know well animated or not well animated animated and they they do typically have stories and there are you know like genre plots and stuff like that and so right. like you know we talked about this uh, in like,
1: short the the porn parody but not really yeah. a parody you know porn parody of evangelion it is animated and it is animated in the style of evangelion
0: yes and it's even like edited to, to have similar like rhythms and stuff like that i feel like,
1: i have not seen it since college but i feel like there are even like shots of like close-ups of like insertion and stuff but done with in like the water droplet style, yes, like I think it, so. it looks sort of like you know lights on a space background, and it's all very kind of artfully done and abstract in this weird way, to where it takes the grammar of Evangelion and applies it to this gross, well, where everybody fucking everybody. Yeah, remember. and it's
0: weird. Like, the character scary. dynamics are, are all like they they, they play with. Them. I mean, because like you know, porn porn parodies in like you know it's it's become you know, it's always existed and it's, it's, there's, they make them a lot now. And I think for the most part, like, it's kind of a novelty with these things to see, Oh, you know, like this, you know, this person's dressed up as this person. And, you know, you're just sort of, it's, you know, like you're watching it kind of just for, as a laugh. It's a little bit weirder when it's not, when it's actually animated to be the thing, because it, it, it kind of, it takes some of the fun out of it. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, like, I don't know, whoever's acting like they're, you know, like they, they, like there's the, the the Star Trek porn parody, and it's like, oh, that that's <laughs> funny that they're acting like Picard or whatever. But it's like this is weird because it's it's as though you're just watching the real characters, like yeah. you know, it's it's, it's, it's there's a veil that's removed, yeah, yeah, and it, and it and and like I, I remember seeing it like back in the day, it was like, you know, you find it on like,
1: is the voice acting pretty close? I don't really remember. I
0: think, I think so. I mean, I think
1: what we're gonna have to do is
0: do it watch it review it, <laughs> it yeah
1: yeah where we really i mean it's it's not know, long yeah it's, yeah it's like 10 minutes or something right
0: yeah and i mean it used to be you had to find it through like weird you know links off of like anime turnpike or something like that but now i mean if you just go on pornhub or you know where to wherever You're you you know typically look up, yeah oh mm-hmm. totally i mean that's that's you can mm-hmm. uh you can find it and you can watch it and i did i i I want to say last year or something it came up, or maybe it was when we started this podcast. I don't remember, but like I did pull it up again and watch like a few minutes of it, and, and it it's it is a curiosity, and it like I said is more uncomfortable than it is uh, uh, necessarily arousing. Um, sure. So I, But it's yeah, I mean if you're if you're a completist and you're fascinated with just how widely you know, uh, this, Evangelion has uh, been embraced by the culture, especially in Japan, but, you know, increasingly now here in the States. That's just another interesting indicator of, of how widely... Uh, well,
1: on, it's, that, it's- on that track, there's there's a thing in, in Japan called doujinshi, which is amateur manga publications. And so sometimes that'll be original stories, but a lot of times you'll get j- doujinshi that... Um, use licensed characters. So it's like, if there were, you know, and then you get this here, like, you know, fan comic books, if someone's like, make their own Batman comic, you know, or whatever their Simpsons comic, but like with the level of nerd you get in Japan and like the fact that Gainox was, you know, just a bunch of these guys who were doing fucking animation. The idea of doing a manga that is of comparable quality, an amateur manga that's of comparable quality to the official manga is it's totally doable. So there's like a whole Mm -hmm. genre. It's like all fan-made stuff and unlicensed stuff, but it's just made by fans oftentimes using actual characters. And there is uh, now, and and some of it is some is, is porn parodies and stuff too. It's like, is hentai manga based on, you know, whatever Dragon Ball character or Lum or uh, whoever you want. I'm sure it exists out there. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's an Evangelion thing called Evangelion retake, which is a really famous, infamous popular however you want to say it evangelion dojinshi that was a direct sequel to end of evangelion which we really? talk about why that would even work yet like how do you pick up after the events of end uh-huh. of evangelion but this does that and was really embraced and by some people seen as like oh like a really good continuation and it's it has like one foot I have read it but I read it years ago and so I still have it somewhere a a translation of it, a a scanlation, fanlation, whatever. Um, So it is out there to find. It's called Evangelion Retake. Uh, I think it's like five volumes or something. It has a foot in like the pervy thing, but it's not hentai. But I feel like there might be some nudity and there might be some sex stuff. So like it takes characters into this more adult space. And there's some weird stuff with like Shinji seeing a weird like... Asuka and his head. It's, it's sort of like a mom and like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's no, looking,
0: I just Google image searched it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I don't know. I remember reading it and I didn't like love it, but I thought it was interesting. and I thought it was fascinating and it would be worth looking at again. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this podcast, you know, when we wrap up the movies and, you know, uh, how busy we get, but, you know, I would like to periodically come back here no matter no matter what and sort of cover different things and i think it would be fascinating if, to have us read it uh and talk about it um because sure. oh, it's not fresh in my memory but it is a fascinating thing and it was the only before the rebuild movies and stuff like this is the only like post end of evangelion stuff you could get it's like oh is there more story in this here mm-hmm. was more story um so that's a fascinating thing to to think about. And uh, I've also read Angelic Days. I think I like Angelic Days fine. I have a couple of volumes of um, the Shinji Ikari Raising Project, which seems okay, but it's, like, so long. There's a ton of fun manga, though, that I would like to read that are based on all the different computer games and stuff, like Shinji Ikari Detective Agency, <laughs> where, like, he's when the mysterious Kaworu shows up and, like, he has to solve a mystery. Um What's really good is there's there are uh, parody comics that are super funny. Uh, I have one that's Neon Genesis Evangel- Evangelion comic tribute, and it's just like really y joke manga comics that are really quite funny because they're making fun of you know the minutia of the show. So I'd really like to read that again. And there was another. Um, God, I wish I could remember the name of it but there was another collection of parody comics by a, a comedy manga artist and so yeah I, there's even one like manga where the whole storyline is that Evangelion is like like Ultraman and so all the angels are people in costumes and like Gendo's the director and stuff like oh that. interesting yeah it's, it's a lot of just yeah uh really clever specific parody stuff like just for Ava nerds um so I'll try and find what the other one is, but yeah, the comic tribute was something that I really liked. Um, yeah. And then Donald had another question that's slightly on related. Uh, and it's kind of funny that we haven't really talked much about any of our, uh, work on this show that we do as mm-hmm. screenwriters, but he has a really insightful question. Uh, can you share your thoughts about any similarities between Sean Phillips of the novel Wolf and White Van by John Darnieel and Shinji? And if we'll be able to see any shades of Ava in the adaptation of that novel that we have been working on. Um, so I yeah, you up and was kind of like, well, how much can we say? You know, I, I, I hesitate to ever say too much about a movie that's not done yet because anything can happen and so much can change in the process that we're going through right now on a, on a movie that we wrote. And it's like, until it's fucking like locked in the final cut, like it's Mm -hmm. it's so hard to talk about because it's like, I don't know. This might change. This might go this way. This might go that way. This might happen. This might not happen. It might not happen in the way we think. Like, I don't, I don't like to talk out of school before it's done, but it is public knowledge that we have been working on the adaptation of Wolf and White Van, uh, which is, just as, talk about like novel suggestions if, and stuff if you are fans of Evangelion. There is probably a lot there. I think this is a super insightful question. We took this script to the uh, Sundance Screenwriters Lab twice. <laughs> it didn't really yeah. work. It. So we've talked about it a lot. I don't think that you and I have ever really explicitly talked to each other about the stinginess of it. But
0: yeah, it's not something I had I had thought of before um, cares, uh, very much. Yeah, it's it is and I think that you know it's it's almost like the like an unpacking because because I, I mean the, the history of this project in a very brief way is just that it, it was a book that, that I read that I loved in a, in a just immediate and almost inexplicable way. It just it, it really hooked me on an emotional core level that I just became obsessed with and, and well, John you know,
1: Barneal is the, yeah, the author is the, uh, you know, the, the main creative force behind the band, the mountain goats, um,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. which we were both big fans of. And so we were you know, excited to see what he was going to do with this book. And, and it became something we just became obsessed with. And, uh, and then with our friend and uh, director, Andy Bruntel we, we sought out the rights to it. And again, we don't go through, I'm not going to go through all the business of how, we did that, but we managed to, to uh, get the rights to it and start to work on how to turn it into a a movie. But it, I think that like a lot of what the process of doing, it has been unpacking our responses to, it's a very mysterious book and the character is a very mysterious guy. And, and it's funny that honestly, like the shinjiness of him maybe even (laughs) explains to myself why I, you know, it's part of the answer, why I like it so much, maybe, because I didn't, it was just like, it was a, you know, it's a, it's a young. You know, a lot of the book, he's a young person that takes place in different time periods in his life, but, but the kind of, you know, uh, directionless young person or somebody that's confused about their place in the world or what they want or how to. Well, be the a, desire of escape. I think,
1: you know, the the Shinji wants to run away, and Sean Phillips is a character that you know is seeking escape through fantasy worlds. Um, so there's definitely a lot there of you know the isolation and the sort of observation of other people and yeah it it unlocks a lot for me like okay that's why i responded to this book so much i think shinji is i don't think i think there's a sincerity to shinji and some of his surface interactions of like well but I, i guess it's it is always couched with a little bit of a like Asuka points out, like his subservience and his friendliness is sometimes just the path of least resistance. But there's sort of a smiliness to Shinji that I don't think you get out of Sean. I think Sean is more like Shinji we see when he's in his darker moments. Uh, you know, like the, the the lying on the bed and knowing that Misato's crying and not going out there to help comfort her or, um, you know, the, those kinds of moments. I feel he's more trapped in that space and less of the sort of like... Oh, steak dinner! Great, Misato. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. don't think that he would that that Sean would be as put on the performance in the way that Shinji does. I think he's he's he would more retreat than
0: than perform. Um, but yeah, they're they're different, but the the commonalities I think
1: yeah is, um, they're coming yeah. from a similar emotional space for sure.
0: Um, and, I, and, I, and and as far as like. You know, at least where it's at in its current state of development. I mean, I, I can say for sure there are scenes of, uh, of of him looking up, laying in bed, looking up at a ceiling, which uh-huh. is also in, in our movie Super Dark Times, um, uh, which you know is is a kind of perpetual reference that uh, you know. I, I mean, I, it's because it's an image in that show that it meant so much to me in a very tactile and relatable way. It does tend to find itself. Uh, I find its way into other stories that we do and, and the type of characters that we like and stuff so I mean I'll have to think about I mean honestly we're we're literally working on it right now so, <laughs> like, so yeah like, you're I mean,
1: like you're deep in it so <laughs> like I, th- I yeah I don't know it's, it's hard to say too much because you know I think there's going to be a lot of because it's such a character based story a lot that changes over time but I just yeah I do think of like looking at just novel and not necessarily what you know directions we're going to push it that there is a lot of similarity there and it it feels in a way you know like a a book that that shinji should read you
0: know (laughs) like yeah yeah
1: uh, and and you know like a modern day uh catch well i but but uh,
0: actually here here is here is the the biggest thing i think and again i mean this is a great question because i have not thought about this stuff before but uh that that the same way I feel like Anno is, is trying to communicate to his tribe, you
1: know, yeah. like, yes, I, I,
0: I think that the, a lot of what the development of this, this movie has been, has been us sort of accepting that, um, you know, that that's, that's what, in a way, that's one of the things we're trying to do with it. So I think that like the way that, we well, and respond- I think that
1: that's what Darnil was trying to do with it as well is communicate to the tribe of make a book, that feels like it was written for you. If you're the if you are that type of person, um, and so yeah, there's a responsibility with the movie to do the same thing. And I think you know we, we've talked about how before there's been culture critics that call out that Ava for the right type of person feels like a show custom made for you. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So. And that doesn't mean to be preachy. Uh, The book certainly doesn't offer any answers uh, and and isn't preaching to the tribe, but it is letting the tribe feel seen. And when the tribe is people who are, you know, sort of emotionally vulnerable, like Sean and like Shinji, whether they will admit that or not, um, it's important to feel, you know, seen like Asuka, you know, just somebody look at me. So reading uh, a book like that, hopefully seeing Ultimate bad movie when it's done watching Evangelion can make a certain type of person feel like they're not alone, even if they're a person that chooses to isolate
0: themselves for whatever reason. Uh, Yeah. 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 So, so now, yeah, now I'm going to (laughs) have to, as we continue to work on it, I'm I'm definitely going to be thinking about how, uh, other ways that it can, yeah, no, that's that's gonna that actually is very helpful. So, uh, who was who it that asked that question?
1: Uh, Donald Bubbins from New Zealand.
0: All right, so well, one man, of our international.
1: international um folks, yeah. So, I mean, that's most of the questions. I mean, we yeah, can real quick go through, yeah, well, we, we, can,
0: I mean, we're, we can we can save some if we have to for another week. Honestly. I guess it's
1: really not that's the meat of them, uh. So yeah, and we've we've rambled on a lot here. So we can call it and uh, thank everybody for their questions. Um,
0: yeah, no, seriously, guys, we, this is fun to do, and please send more, and you know, find us on Twitter, and yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, kind of
1: at, yeah, Michael and Muscle Robo, Donald, Alex, uh, Charles Green wrote in to just ask specifically not for the show but just for more recommendations on anime. Uh, Victor Vasquez has written us a couple times, uh, Jesse, um, Christian of course, uh, who even sent us our you know our, our audio clip.
0: Uh, yeah, which that was fun. If anybody else wants to do that, I, I enjoyed that.
1: Uh, I got a message from a guy named Jeremy uh, Rolichk. Uh, <laughs> terrible, it's V R O L I J K. I'm a Piotrowski, so look, I'm sorry. I, you know, I know, I feel your pain. Um, so all those people who have written in, though, I just want to give give them a shout out and thank you for you know sending in questions and enjoying the show and listening and stuff like that. So yeah. If you got more, we can always do another Mailbag episode sometime. I don't know when Kevin's going to be back and when we're going to have time to actually all (laughs) sit down and watch movies and record together. But maybe not next week. I don't know. When are we going
0: to... Uh, he gets back sometime mid-October, so it might be like two weeks or something, but we're gonna, we're gonna, I mean we're we're dying to do it, and he's dying to do it and he demanded that he be on the death episode so I... Interesting.
1: Okay. Fascinating. Um, uh, Tony Takizaki's Neon Genesis Evangelion is a a manga that's another parody manga that I would really like to read, so that was one I was trying to think of before, by the way. So uh, you've got lots of recommendations that you may or may not like. I don't know. (laughs) You've got, uh, to hear from us, um, you'll hear from us again soon. I don't know what we're going to do next week, if we'll if we'll just skip a week while we're waiting to do death or if we'll have some other uh, thing that we'd like to cover.
0: Um, yeah, and if you guys have any ideas for what we should cover. We'll... Yeah. You
1: know. Cool. Guess. All right.
0: Well, thanks for listening, guys.
1: Hmm. Until then.
0: Yeah, see you, Luke. Bye.